Um, so we're going to be turning to various places tonight, so I honestly wouldn't worry too much about following along with me. Uh, there will just be a few passages I read, um, mostly a ton of scripture I'll probably reference, uh, probably not even by name. Uh, we got a really cool topic. Um, we've been in a series about the real Jesus, answering the question through the Gospel of Luke, uh, who, who is Jesus, right? Who is he? Uh, and tonight, we're going to be looking at who it is that we can say Jesus is based on what we know about his closest friends, uh, his disciples. And so this, this is a really, it was a really fun exercise because, like I said, there's not going to be one passage we're going to be able to point to. Uh, but it points to the idea of just, man, what is consistent throughout all scripture that we know about uh, Jesus and how it is he interacts with his uh, disciples and his closest friends uh, and what it is that we can learn from that? Uh, this is a little aside, but I, I highly recommend to you this, that when you study through the Gospels next time, uh, you study through them taking special note and attention. How is it that Jesus interacts with people? What does he say? What does he do? How does he respond? What questions does he ask? It's, it's a really cool lens to walk through the Gospels and hone in and focus on how does Jesus interact with people? Uh, and so going through that exercise, you know, so often um, had me pretty prepared for answering this question of how do we know who Jesus is based on who his closest friends are. And so I, I found this really interesting uh, from the book of Mark. Uh, if you want to turn there, uh, chapter one, chapter one, Jesus uh, jumps on the scene here uh, in Mark's gospel account. And he has a big proclamation. It's found in verse 15. He says, uh, after John you know, was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying this, awesome, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Here it is, the king himself coming and announcing on earth, my kingdom has come. I think of uh, a politician. He's just made an announcement for running. And they say, I'm, I'm going to run for president of the United States of America in 2024. You know who he's probably got behind him as he makes that announcement? Some top-name supporters, right? Uh, some celebrities, people, things like that, that would be backing him. People would recognize and, and give this person who's making their, you know, their running as a politician to give it some weight that there's high profile people behind him supporting him. Jesus does things a little bit differently. He has announced my kingdom has come. You know what he does immediately after that? Right after that in Mark. He goes and rounds up a few fishermen. God has come in the flesh on earth. He's been living there. And he goes to people and says, hey, guess what? The time is now. People are going to see what my kingdom is all about. I need to go find some fishermen. It seems so backwards. It seems so random. Uh, but we're going to see that Jesus, right, he, we'll, you'll, this, you'll hear this term a lot, that Jesus came to establish the kingdom, yes, uh, but it's very much an upside-down kingdom. It is not what anyone would expect. 
And so there, there's a thing to be learned about who it is that Jesus uh, would puts around himself, the friends that he calls. And, and so I'm calling these the upside down characters uh, that Jesus calls as his closest friends and his disciples. Uh, we're going to look at a few of those characters. Uh, one is just the, the fishermen in general. Um, the second will be the tax collector. Uh, and the third will be someone who ultimately betrays him. What is it that we have to learn about Jesus surrounding himself on his kingdom mission with fishermen, a tax collector, and ultimately a betrayer? Okay, uh, so this fisherman, you might know some of them by name. Uh, they're Peter, they're Andrew, they're James, they're John. Uh, some think Nathaniel also uh, was a fisherman, doesn't really matter. Uh, but here's the idea that we learn from a great teacher walking around with his disciples as fishermen. Okay, fishermen, simply this, they're not an elite class. What would have made a whole lot of sense if this was a right-side-up kingdom as, as opposed to an upside-down kingdom would be for Jesus to go to the Pharisees, to go to the Sadducees, to go to the temple and pull out the priests and say, you guys follow me at the religious community. No, he does the exact opposite. Because those Pharisees and these fishermen, they grew up in school together, and there became a point when they were 12, 13 years old that a, a teacher uh, came and hand-selected some of them. And said, hey, you're going to come follow me and you're going to be an apprentice in the ways of being a priest and the way of being religious elite. The fishermen are not the ones that got chosen for that. Okay, they were not deemed, um, you know, intelligent enough or something like that. And they went and apprenticed probably in a family, um, a family business such as fishing. Okay, so they they took route B, whereas in their community, you know, route A was to be of the religious elite. That would be the ultimate end of your schooling as a young man. These guys weren't picked initially. And now here comes Jesus establishing his kingdom. He doesn't go to synagogue. He goes to the boats and he picks out these fishermen to start establishing this idea of his upside down kingdom. He did not come for the proud and the powerful. He came for the humble. He didn't come, you know, for the rich. He came you know, for the poor. He didn't come for the, str the strong. He came for the weak. He came for those who no one else was looking at. So we have much to learn about the fact that he chose fishermen to join him on this kingdom mission. It speaks to the humility. It speaks to the upside down nature of this kingdom that it's going to be completely unexpected rather than what you would, you know, obviously expect. Uh, the next one up that we hear is uh, that he invites Levi or Matthew. He's a tax collector. To us, you're like, okay, well, I, don't, I don't care much about tax collector. Literally the low of the low within this community. Is there someone you see at school and you see them walking down the hallway and you immediately scamper to the other side that just left to walk near them? I hope you don't do that with someone. That'd be terrible. Well, this is Matthew's existence. A Jew himself would walk around in his own neighborhood, in his own community. Someone would spot him, turn their face from him, get to the other side of the street because passing by him was such a disgrace because of the sinner 
he was. Turning on his own people, becoming a tax collector for the Roman government. Taking more money from his people than was own needed. So he had betrayed his own people and now everybody didn't even want to associate with him. But it's not a right side up kingdom, it's an upside down kingdom. So Jesus does what no one else does. While everyone scampers to the other side of the street, here's Matthew's made eye contact with him and he's trying to wonder why it is that Jesus hasn't gone to the other side of the street and he's still walking right towards him. And now he's getting really uncomfortable. He doesn't know what's going on. And he looks at Matthew and for the first time, Matthew probably feels like a human again as Jesus looks him in the eyes and says, hey, I got, I got some things to do. Will you follow me? He approaches the unapproachable. He comes and befriends those who no one else would befriend. He is known, Jesus, as the friend of sinners. Matthew has a seat at his table, dining with him. And the Pharisees get mad, saying, why do you eat with sinners and tax collectors? And Jesus says, you don't understand. It is not for the well that I came, but it's for the sick. I have not come for the righteous, but I have come for sinners. So one of the men he chooses, I mean, all of them were sinners, but this one just was the, he symbolized a sinner in their community. And Jesus invites him in as his closest friend to say this, this is what my kingdom is about. I am the friend of sinners. That, who, that is who Jesus is. Man, what great news. Anyone in here not a sinner? Didn't think so. Jesus would like to be your friend. He is a friend of sinners. What does that mean? What does that mean for you? Old Testament, the idea of standing before God as a sinner was a scary, scary thought. Because standing in the presence of God, people thought you would literally just burn up because of his pure holiness and perfection and your great sin. Jesus, being a friend of sinner, does this. He bridges that gap of God's holiness and our sin. He gives us his righteousness and allows us to now be back in the presence of God. Jesus being the friend of a sinner means, man, someone has crossed that chasm that lays between us and God. And he's brought us near to God. Man, what good news that Jesus is a friend of sinners doing what no one else would do. The rest of the religious community would say, forget you. Jesus approached you. How wonderful is that? Um, the last one is uh, the betrayer. Uh, and who am I referring to? Am I only referring to Judas? Oh, you guys are smart. You guys are real smart. So here is... Um, it's a great, it's a great you know, thing when you, when you read through the Gospels and, man, you, you just notice something over and over and over again. I was thinking about this today, um, how Jesus actually welcomed in two people that betrayed him. One did it very loudly. Uh, you know, Peter is known as having kind of his foot in his mouth. He's constantly saying things and getting rebuked by Jesus in trouble. He's a little, he pulls out the sword, cuts off the guy's ear, and Jesus is like, well, I, I, I'm not about the sword, man. Uh, so he, he gets, he's a little hasty. He's a little out loud about um, his, his sin. Jesus is a little bit more quiet about it. 
You know, you see Peter throughout the Gospels. He's a little forefront. Judas, you don't, actually don't hear much about him. Just kind of hanging out in the shadows. And we know this, that Jesus invited him as one of his disciples, knowing this. It says this at the time of invitation in the Gospels, that Jesus knew already that he was one to betray him. How many of you are about befriending enemies? How many of you are about befriending people you know that are going to hurt you? Not many would recommend it. But here's Jesus inviting Judas in, knowing full well that Judas is destined to betray Jesus, turn over authorities for his own death. Why would he do that? Why would you do that? I think it speaks to this idea of the, of the patience of God, the mercy of God, the love of God. See, Judas followed him. Judas spent time doing all the other things that the disciples did. Jesus washed Judas' feet. Jesus dined with Judas. He invited him into the inner circle. He, he cared for him. He served him. Jesus was fully committed to the will of God, even, even to knowing that it would be to his detriment. And so there's one thing that's going on is that Jesus committed to the will of God, even though he knew what Judas would do. So what it is that Jesus had no regard for himself, but he had regard even for Judas. Maybe there was like some hope whatsoever that, that Judas would see the person of Jesus and turn from his sins that he was hiding in the desires and inclinations of his heart. And yet he does not. He does not. His heart is continually hardened by being near to Jesus, actually. As he won't let go of what's in secret, what he's hiding. But when we have this great example of Peter, Peter betrays him too. Jesus knows it. Jesus says, you say you follow me. I know it's in your heart, Peter. Trust me. When I'm arrested, when I'm drugged to that cross, guess where you're going to be? Running away from a little girl. Little girl asks him, you were with Jesus. And he is terrified <laughs> of this little girl and questioning him. And he runs off and he forsakes Jesus. He turns his back on his friend. What's different about these two? There's two things that are going to happen when you get close to Jesus. One, as you bring your sin to light and you walk in the light, Jesus is going to begin changing your heart and he's going to grow an affection for you. The only other option is that being near to Jesus, you're further going to alienate yourself from him. And that's what Judas did. So Jesus has come, and he's going to reveal himself to everybody. And one of two things is going to happen. We're going to grow in a love and affection for him. Or we're going to hold on to our sin, and we're going to further push our wit selves away from him. Because we cannot bear the idea of our sin being known, even though he is the one that can justify us from our sin. 
all we see is a fear of him. So we have a, a, some fishermen, sinners, and betrayer. All of these things, they give us a light into who Jesus is, that he would invite these people close to him. And they're not, like I said, who you would expect. Here is someone that you would expect. Um, in Luke uh, 18, uh, is it uh, Matthew 19 or 21, forgetting, and Mark 10. They all tell the story of the rich young ruler. Uh, fun study tip as you go through the Gospels. Uh, you know who it is that receives names typically um, in culture? Uh, the, uh, the rich, the elite, those people who should receive honor, they are spoken with their name. Those who are poor, those who are, don't have a good reputation, you never use their name. Notice throughout the Gospels who it is that gets a name and who it is that doesn't. So there's the parable that Jesus tells of Lazarus and the rich man. The rich man used to, was used to having his name touted and people welcoming him. Lazarus was unknown to everybody. But again, Jesus knows the humble. He knows the lowly. It's the proud that he rejects. Their name is not remembered. It is those who are exalted by Jesus. Their names are remembered. So that's a fun tip. And that's exactly why we know all the other disciples' names. But we don't know the rich young ruler. Because the rich young ruler received the same call as the other 12 disciples. And listen to how this went. It said, as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come Follow me. The same thing he said to Peter, Andrew, James, John, and the rest of them. Follow me. He loved this man. He knew this man. And he said, hey, this is the time. This is the pivotal moment in your life. I'm calling you to follow me. You need to let go of some things first. Verse 22, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. This is who you would expect Jesus to recruit for his kingdom. But this is who denies being Jesus' friend. Someone who has so much more. He likes Jesus. He's been following Jesus. He's been listening to Jesus' teachings. There's great, there's, you know, there's great thought that this man's been following his ministry this whole time. And he finally gets to that point of... I, I, I want to go all the way. I, I, I like you, Jesus, and I, I want to go all the way. So he falls him. He says, follow me. Ugh. I can't. I like you, but I really like this stuff too. He likes Jesus. He likes the idea of Jesus. But there's things that he's holding on that he just likes a little bit more. 
And it makes them sad to even think about letting those things go, to go and be a friend with Jesus. Has Jesus called you to follow him? Has he called you to be a friend? It's going to cost you something. Has he called you to follow? And have you responded? Or are there things that you are holding on to saying, Jesus, I like you. I like the idea of you. But actually, I really like these things. I'm not ready to give those up. Notice what Jesus does. He lets the man go. He doesn't chase after him. He lets the man have what he wants. And friends, I'm going to tell you that that is a scary, scary place to be. When it is the Lord that he gives you what it is that you want. He has shown you himself. And he has said, hey, I created you. You were made to be with me. I'm, I'm showing you what you really need. But you're telling me you want this. Go and have it. And let that be a warning to us that Jesus does not go after this rich young ruler. But he lets him have what he wants. Say, man, I love you. Follow me. Be my friend. What we learn about Jesus in here is he's not forcing anyone into himself, into his worship. But rather, when he called these fishermen back to chapter 1, it says immediately after he said, follow me, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James and the son of Zebedee and John, his brother, who were there uh, in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. They literally left their dad on the job. Little family business here. Sorry, dad, got to go. Um, Jesus has called. They understand that there's a cost to following Jesus and being his friend, but man, they count following him and being his friend far greater than anything else they could have in this life. In who Jesus has around him and who he doesn't, we get this wonderful picture about how the world sees Jesus and the things that hinder us from seeing him rightly as our greatest affection, as our greatest satisfaction, our greatest desire. He goes on to tell his disciples after this rich young ruler um, uh, walks away. He says, man, the rich. It's as hard for them to enter the kingdom as it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. If you ever try to understand what that means, it just means it's impossible. A camel can't go through the eye of a needle. But as long as you want to serve something else, you cannot also serve God, Jesus says. 
You cannot serve the word that's called mammon, not just money, but it's this idea of material possession, wealth, anything that you would hold on. You can't serve it and God. There will be one or the other. It's impossible to do both. It's going to cost you something to be a friend of Jesus and to follow him. Have you counted that cost worthy and let it go? Lastly, um, what do we learn about Jesus and those he puts around himself? Uh, We look at what does he do? What does he do with them? For three years, he eats, sleeps, drinks with these guys. Uh, They're walking around serving people, helping people. Uh, He washes their feet. They're healing people. He sends them out two by two to do the same miracles that he was doing. He trains them. He equips them. He's, He's doing this preparatory work. He's discipling them. He's teaching them. Uh, discipling literally means to, to follow someone. It's kind of an apprenticeship. So Jesus says, hey, I'm on a kingdom mission here. I need to now go find some apprentices, some disciples. And so for three years, while he's teaching to the crowds and parables, he then goes back in secret and he tells them everything that it means. He's equipping this specific group of guys for all the things that Jesus could have done. He never trout, get this. God came in the flesh to rescue the world, and he never left a 70-mile radius. world's a big place. He never left a region of a country, basically. What is he doing just with these 12 guys? He's getting ready. He's getting ready for the plan that God has always had to advance his kingdom. He's teaching them to imitate him, to know him so well in what he's about and how he does things that they too would go and do likewise. He's teaching them to imitate him as Jesus the man. Why? Because God has no other plan than those 12. He has no other plan than his own disciples. He has no other plan outside of his friends, those that follow Jesus. Jesus kept telling them, guys, you got to understand this. I'm about to go. They're like, where where is he going? They didn't understand. He, He was like gonna ascend to heaven they're like he's talking about he's going places is he is he gonna go to samaria next they didn't understand and jesus the whole time he's like guys i don't understand why you don't get this i don't have much more time like it's so funny you can like kind of see like jesus like it's like sarcastically kind of getting frustrated he's like y'all should be further along than this clock's ticking um he's about to leave and the whole mission of his kingdom is being left to these 12 dudes He's leaving it to his friends. He's left it to us. He doesn't have a plan B, guys. He has his friends. He has his followers. He has us in this room. 
was God's plan. Is that he would show us what he is like. He would disciple a few and they would multiply with the good news of the kingdom. Repeatedly showing others what Jesus is like. Calling others to follow them as they followed Christ. And by that example, by Christ living in and through us, the world would come to know his kingdom is here. It is now and it is coming and it will be forevermore. What we learn about Jesus through his friends is he had no other plan. (laughs) You are his plan. So that the world may come to know Jesus as their own friend. And how beautiful is that? How wonderful is that? And so I just have questions for you. Are, are you a friend of Jesus? Have you counted the cost of following him and counted it worthy? And are you fulfilling his plan? If you're looking around, asking how's it gonna happen, look in the mirror. He said, it's going to happen through you. You are my plan. So friends, if we want to introduce people to Jesus, show him how to be a friend, we first have to become a friend ourselves. We have to know what it is to follow him, to imitate him, that we might call others and say, hey, follow me. Because I'm following the one. That is truly worthy. I, I used to follow that. You follow too. I found something so much better. One of, one of Jesus' uh, coolest friends is Andrew. Uh, if you read throughout, um, yeah, Andrew back there, Andrew right here, there's another Andrew in here. Um, if you ever look at what Andrew's doing throughout the Gospels, he's, like, he's just like this giddy little kid. He's like, guys, 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 I found him. I found the Messiah. And he runs and takes everybody he knows. To Jesus. Everyone's like looking for food and they have like thousands of people to feed. And Andrew doesn't know what to do, but he finds this little boy and he's like, Jesus, I found this little boy. Like, Andrew's like, what he knows to do is to bring people to Jesus because he's like, I found something better. Your friends, you might be, but some of your friends, they're following things that in the end will lead to their death. They're following things that can't deliver on the promises they're looking to those things for. And you have found the better. You have a greater friend, one that's actually looking out for you, one that actually loves you back. Your idols don't love you back. Not like your friend Jesus. Man, would we be like his friend Andrew, just so giddy to bring our friends to him and say, I found him. I found what we've been looking for. I found one that is better. Would we have that joy and excitement in us? Are you fulfilling his plan? Because it can't happen anywhere else. He's chosen his friends to advance his kingdom. I just want to end um, in this prayer for us um, from John 17. This is Jesus' prayer for his friends. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words... 
And he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. His prayer is that you would know him as a friend. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and I have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, you, his friends. I lost my spot. Uh, For they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you. In these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see me at my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I may known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. That is your friend Jesus' prayer for you, that he has left you in this world as his plan to fulfill the mission of his kingdom. He will be with you to the end of the age he promises, strengthening you, equipping you, leading you, and guiding you. Man, what a friend we have in Jesus. Lord, use us to bring more friends to you. Amen.